Recognising this property of cities, noting the juxtaposition of diversity within them, allows something to be made of the presence in cities of those who aren't members of business communities. This, for Saskia Sassen, is an important step. Any big city, you have a collection of minorities who make claims. Now, often the people that I'm thinking of can be described as lacking power. But when they make these claims, when they do their politics in these cities, they gain something. It may not be power, but it is something that one could call presence. And that is a presence that signals the possibility of a politics. What the actual politics will be that they wind up with, I don't know that. You know, that comes out of the, the, the world of real life. And again, there seems to be something about cities that helps to signal the possibility of different voices being heard. It seems to me that these same powerless groups in a small town would have less of a chance to emerge as a political actor or to emerge with something that we need to distinguish from simply absolute powerlessness, which I'm calling presence. It's an inadequate term, but it's a way of capturing something that happens. Now, what is interesting is that these claimants who lack power but gain presence also have an ambiguous relationship, like the international business community, to this whole question of citizenship as historically constituted. On the one hand, they often are not citizens in that narrow sense of the term citizen. On the other hand, if they're citizens, they do not necessarily identify, their, their notion of membership is not as fully captured in the notion of being a citizen of that country as more advantaged groups, or let's say as the middle class would have, where you know they are citizens of the UK, of the US, that carries meaning. For people who feel oppressed because of race, because of immigrant status, because of whatever, it's an ambiguous condition. So what I find interesting is that the global city emerges as a strategic space, on the one hand, for the kind of valorization mechanisms that are necessary for global corporate capital to constitute itself as such, and on the other hand, a strategic site where disadvantaged people can gain presence and hence signal the possibility of a new politics. Now, both of these political actors enact that project in a place, the city. But both of them are parts, in one way or another, it changes, of broader transnational networks. So there is a sort of a transnational nature to both of these actors. And at the same time, their encounter, which is characterized by enormous confrontation, not maybe direct engagement, but confrontation in terms of their claims on the city, happens within this bounded space of the city. Ashamin takes this further. We've got used to an idea of urban politics as something in the gift of the local state or local politicians to enact through policies of one sort or another, better housing, better infrastructural policies. We might begin to think about the politics of everyday uses of the city, not the politics of big design handed down by the local state or the official politicians of a city, city fathers, city mayors. In short, a rainbow politics centered around building up urban public life and largely from below. So the idea of mixity, the sense of the city as a place of 
daily life, daily experiences, begs, in my mind at least, questions about what makes democracy. We have got used to the idea that such representative politics might produce cities which are acceptable to all within cities. But we know that this kind of politics, by and large, serves the interests of particular dominant groups within cities. Whereas a different idea, a different definition of politics allows us to see the city and its social groups and its public spaces as a source of active participation. In other words, a perspective on the city which emphasizes mixture, movement, the city as a meeting place, allows us to think about ways in which you can use the resources of a city, its communities, its living communities, as a vehicle for improving cities from below through active participation and mixture. This seems a very hopeful view of cities, one that insists on starting from an idea of cities as part of a wider scheme, as places of encounter, not containment, yet as places of difference, of different aspirations, different powers, different life chances. The bringing together of different communities in the same space or in sites within the city which are close to each other. And I think increasingly in the case of the contemporary city, that ambivalence is heightened by the, if you like, mixed set of allegiances that communities have towards each other, possibly a sense of loyalty because communities feel they belong to the same city, but also a sense of intense sense of disloyalty because the communities also see themselves as part of other communities spread around the world. So I think the ambivalence has at least two sources. One is diversity placed in close proximity, but also communities with social aspirations, which only derive in part from a shared set of resources which the city provides. If cities are places of encounter then hope lies in what people can do with a mix of ambivalence and tension that results. Globalisation may be a huge influence working on and through cities, but its influence can be contested. Other futures can be imagined. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.